Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top-shelf equipment and designers for broadcast, concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know that this is your most important event. It is their goal to make you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist at LD at Large, PLSN Magazine. Thank you guys for chiming in. I really appreciate it. Uh, today I am with Jackson Gallagher and Jeremy Lecterman, both principal designers at Fragment 9. Thank you guys so much for making time to chat with me. Yeah, absolutely. Our Thanks for having us. So I am in uh, just outside Windsor, Canada. You guys are just outside of Nashville. And uh, I know you guys have had... Troubles on top of troubles down there. First the, the 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 tornado, and then right in the wake of that, the entire world changed in a, just a matter of weeks. How are you guys holding up? Yeah, man, what a what a time to be alive. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're holding up, using the time to kind of beef up some of our professional skills. As I know a lot of folks in our industry are doing the same. Uh, trying to take a look and do a deep dive on some of our processes and the way we approach doing a show, which has been nice, but also relaxing, getting a lot of stuff done around the home, and most importantly, spending time with our significant others and animals. And, and the animals are pretty happy to have us around as much, I'm sure. The uh, dogs Jackson, in we, the world are pretty excited about this whole thing. Oh, yeah. And the cats are stoked as well. Uh, Jackson, you should, uh, I mean, uh, t- tell us actually about the tornado night because it came pretty damn close to your house, didn't it? At least one of them? Yeah, it was, the the big one was about a mile away from us. I'm out in Mount Julia, east of Nashville. So I know uh, uh, the real east Nashville got hit pretty hard in a lot of parts of Nashville. But I mean, out here, it just leveled a line straight through my town. Uh, and there's about a mile down the road from me the trees are gone. This factory is gone. Like it was just the, the warehouse shelf standing there. The whole warehouse thing around it was totally taken away. There's giant pieces of metal debris that probably weigh 500 pounds that are 50 feet up in trees still. Um, yeah, it was, it was nuts. Um, and then we had to go to the airport Had to go to Seattle the next morning. Uh, so that was pretty crazy. There was one lane out of town uh, that got to the airport and their power lines crossing most other roads. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. How are the uh, recovery or like rebuilding efforts going amidst COVID, right? Because like, I don't know about you, but in Colorado, where I am, um, like construction and utility work and all that stuff is still considered an essential activity. So a lot of that is still happening. Are you guys able to pick up the pieces at the moment? Yeah, the a lot of the construction is still ongoing. The, the community response right when it happened, which was about a week or two before COVID got really serious, was insane. They opened up a, a volunteer portal and they had so many people volunteering that they had to shut it down and turn away all new volunteers. So they had most of the debris uh, picked up and a lot of the, the community side of things was back together. Power lines are back up. All of that got back pretty quickly. So now I think it's individual construction on people's homes uh, and nothing has stopped that at this point, but there's still tons and tons of houses just covered in blue tarps. Wow. I saw some photos that were just unreal. It, it didn't seem like it would. there were enough volunteers to clean up some of the photos I saw. Yeah, it's... It's crazy. I, I wish I was here and I wish I would have been able to volunteer and be a part of that effort. I reached out and said, hey, I've got rooms in my house if anyone needs to stay. That's about the only thing I can offer from afar. Uh, one of the double-edged swords of being in this industry and traveling so much. Yeah, when we're out on the road, we always have rooms to rooms to let. And uh, you were flying right off to Seattle. What were you going to work on? 
uh, popping in for a show of St. Motel, a show that we designed earlier in the year. So I was just out there for about 48 hours before heading to another uh, TV show in Atlanta. But yeah, we had a 7 a.m. flight. It usually takes us about 20 minutes to get to the airport. Took us 90 minutes navigating all of the uh, debris. And they still, I mean, the sun was just coming up and they're still assessing the amount of damage. But we were literally running through the airport and we were the last ones on the plane as the door was closed. We had I'm left. really impressed. Yeah, there <laughs> left plenty of extra time to get there knowing that it was probably going to be hard to get there. Didn't think it was going to be this crazy. And I mean, we didn't know what the damage was. We like we thought we were being overly cautious, but there was a guy behind me that thought that he was going to get the upgrade if I didn't show up. And he was pretty pissed when I got on the plane. <laughs> nice. Wait, 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 he verbally wait, wait, wait. said, ah, darn it, or something. But he was, he was not quiet about his displeasure. <laughs> You you of course gave you of course gave your upgrade to your wife though right Jackson no we both got upgraded ah uh, okay good okay good very nice and then just when you guys were starting to recover from one emergency uh, the entire world kind of came down and took a took a big old dump on everything else that you could have done to start rebuilding uh, I would imagine you guys had uh, the same situation where everything you had on the books just kind of dried right up yeah i mean it's it's pretty spooky right looking at the calendar and saying you know seeing all these things uh wiped away or postponed or or whatever i mean thankfully for us we're fairly diversified as a company and by that i don't mean in a like corporate sense mean that we have our fingers in some theater projects we have our fingers in content we have our fingers in traditional sort of production design. So we're still slowly moving on some long-term projects, especially um, the sort of install project we've been working on for a long time. But even that is about to, in about a month, uh, uh, shut down because they have lost all funding, right? So they're going to be furloughed. They're furloughing themselves, which, you know, in, in turn furloughs us. Speaking to that, I think uh, an interesting point there. Uh, the project is over in London and looking at how the U.S. has responded to the economic impacts versus them. I haven't done a lot of research on it, but what they were telling us is the government wants companies to furlough their employees so that they don't leave their house and spread the infection. So they will pay 80 percent of normal payroll for any employees that are furloughed and told to stay home and not work, whereas the U.S., part of the, at least the Paycheck Protection Program is trying to keep employees employed and keep them working. And if, if companies do that, then they get money to pay for them. So it's kind of ends up with the same outcome with two very different philosophies. The, the sort of weird thing though, right, is that especially on that project, um, in order for them to receive the 80% uh, apparel costs, they literally have to shut down, right? So even though this project a lot of the work that we're doing on it right now can be done remotely. And a lot of the work that they're doing, we can all be talking to each other from our living rooms in order for the organization as a whole to stay afloat and to weather this, it's more advantageous for them to shut down, take the government money and postpone the show for six months instead of trying to continue on, which uh, is just, I guess, a function of the times, right? Like it, 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 it seems weird, but I, I guess it's what they need to do. It does sound kind of counterintuitive, but at the same time, I'm sure it makes sense in a, in a larger way of, you know, look, we, we applaud you for trying to go to work, but please, yeah, you're doing more harm than good. Just, just exactly. take a break. We'll, we'll help out as much as we can. You know, it's, that's a tough one. I go back and forth on that one every day because like, I, I share the the motivation to go back to work i would love to get on a plane my i get a little stir crazy and i would love to get on a plane and go do something right now but uh but i know the what that means so yeah i mean i i would imagine i share the sentiment with most able bodied working class people right now like well i'm i'm invincible i can go wherever i want to and it won't affect me at all but yeah, I, uh, I just I hope there isn't this like this uh, antibody halo that shows up in the next couple of weeks or months, right? When we start 
when we enter uh, the next phase of this, which is where people are starting to get tested for antibodies to prove that they, you know, are safe to go out in the world or whatever, right? That we're not just compounding the issue and we're not continuing to spread the virus. Because I think that there's a lot of people like ourselves, you know, young and healthy, who are going to be like, ah, I'm okay, right? And then we're going to end up in the same situation we are now just in three months because we've all decided on our own to ignore the social distancing regulations. So yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm not a doctor in, or an epidemiologist in, all, in any way, but I believe once that happens, it comes back stronger because you you've built up an immunity to it, and so it attacks harder. And then, yeah, I don't. Uh, I really hope that we're able to avoid something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and, and speaking of it coming back, I mean, I don't at, at this point, I don't really care how long the world stays shut down. I think what can't happen and what our industry can't afford is us getting back to work too soon, having it slow itself during the summer, take that as a false positive and then come back with a vengeance in the fall. Because from my minimal research, it sounds like that's what happened with the 1918 Spanish flu. And if we get into the fall and all the concerts get canceled again and this industry takes that one-two punch, then I think there's a lot of people and potentially us that are going to have to start looking for another industry. Because if we, if we do another shutdown like this in the fall, I mean, we're talking between one and two years of no concerts. Ooh. Yeah. That, I'm going to have to scares me. Yep. I'm going to go with you on that one that uh, when it comes time to reopen the gates, it should be just a trickle you know, uh, 10 people concerts, 15 people concerts, 50 people concerts. And then uh, I don't think we're going to be getting back to the 20 and 50,000 person venues for, for quite some time. I, I would hate to predict anything, but I would, I'm going to go six months, eight months, even longer. At least. Yeah. I mean, hearing rumors of a lot of shows getting rebooked for, late summer and into the fall and including arenas and large venues. But I don't think anyone thinks for a second that that is set in stone and mm-hmm. maybe it's uh, more of an ideal optimistic approach, but yeah, I mean, it, who knows, it might be next summer until we see those large gatherings again for all we know. To be fair, I think I'd rather, uh, I'd rather hope for optimism, right? Like a from every, from the world's health perspective, but also for our industry. I mean, one of the things that we keep on telling our clients or our collaborators, however you want to refer to, the, to everyone that we work with on a daily basis, is that let's let's try and pretend like this all is going to come back and let's not sit around being scared for the next couple of months, right? Like, let us use this time wisely to come up with some cool ideas, to think about, you know, what is the ideal concert or the ideal show, the idea narrative for you, your artist, et cetera, and let's work on that. Um, so that when this all happens, we're all ready for it. Because I think we're all a bit, I don't want to say fearful, but um, we imagine there being a huge demand in the, like, as soon as the government says, okay, you're allowed to do whatever you want, right? The booking agents are going to open the floodgates and uh, we're going to have, I mean, hopefully, uh, way too much work. And we're going to all start putting out like sub-quality designs because we're just trying to get stuff out the door and we really 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 don't want to do that right like that's our worst nightmare um but at the same time we also like need to make a living and currently you know we're not so i don't know that's sort of a complex uh state uh, question or statement but like i think you know we're, we're we're actively trying to make sure that we don't let this time go by without trying to capitalize on you know whether it be professional development or development with our clients or I don't know, working on the garden, you know, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. um, we should use this time as wisely as we can because it's not, in some ways it is a luxury that we never get to have as as weird as that sounds. I was definitely not very knowledgeable in the, the zoom app before this, but now I'm, I've definitely learned how to work the zoom app these days, (laughs) Uh, which is weird. I used to, I used to really not like video conferencing because I would always prefer face-to-face, but without face-to-face being possible, I'm, I've really taken to the video conferencing and it's a, it's a whole new world for me. I don't really enjoy listening to the sound of my voice on, uh, on 
on recording devices, but now I just have to get past that. And now it's a whole new world and you have to just get to come out of your comfort zone because it's a new world now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, I think what's weird for me and something I've been struggling with the last week or two on this is like, I, I'm a very extroverted person in most situations in life and especially so social situations and interacting with people and being with people, but something about only having zoom communications with 98% of my world, uh, like drains some weird part of my extroversion. And I get to the end of the day and I just want to like make a cocktail and watch a movie. And like, I'm starting to kind of drown in these virtual cocktail hours. And it's like, I, I do want to talk to everyone and stay in touch, but without being physically with people and around people, it's kind of driving me crazy. Who I share that with you. I, uh, I, I much prefer a hug and a handshake and a, and a couple drinks and a dinner than a, than going to bed in the same bed over and over again. I, I'm, uh, I share your extrovert, uh, isolation woes right now. Uh, I don't have any of these problems. I'm an introvert at heart and I'm more than, more than happy to stay in my little mountain house and enjoy my mountains and get on zoom calls. Uh, no, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I'm just kidding. I, I do miss the, I miss being at the gig, right? I miss like Jackson and I at front of house banging on consoles or uh, talking to a client or, you know, looking over a content animator's shoulder. I enjoy, I, I miss that sort of like collaborative creative effort. Um, but I've enjoyed also like working on a bunch of recipes that I haven't had the opportunity to think about in a while because they take too much time on a daily basis. Um, or, you know, actually sitting down and watching a real movie for once. Uh, cause usually I just fall asleep because I'm too tired. Yeah. On the, on the recipe front, I've gotten a nice little rhythm of, uh, exploring cocktail recipes. And normally with traveling all the time, if I open a orange juice or pineapple juice or something, it's bad by the next time that I'm home and want to make cocktails. But, uh, that's not the case here. So my cocktail game is strong and I'm catching between one and two movies every night and reaching the bottom of Hulu and Netflix. But uh, while the, the struggle of only being able to Zoom with people during the day, my, my nighttime relaxation uh, routine is solid. Uh, you also spent a lot of time rebuilding your wet bar. Uh, Jackson yes. has, has made a quite impressive little... Uh, I, I, what, I, what do we call bonus room? What is this room in your house? Uh, yeah, the, the Nashville term would be a bonus room, but it's the TV room. Yeah, uh, but there's a, there's a, yeah, nice job, Jackson. <laughs> well done. It sounds like a very well-stocked uh, bar. <laughs> yeah. You're giving everyone the, the portrayal that you've got an alcohol problem, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't know where you draw the line. Occasionally, I'll, I'll go a day <laughs> between, between a hobby and <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's about quantity and being able to stop. So, I'll, like some days, I just won't have anything to prove to myself that I still have control. Uh, and it, it's usually <laughs> like two or three cocktails at most. I'm not, I'm not getting slammered. Uh, so, I think while it's still about the art, uh, I think I'm in the clear. I, I, I think also the photos you've been taking of the cocktails are great. Nice job. Yeah, my, my wife has a little photo box for an online store uh, that she's working on, but it also makes a great uh, cocktail photography studio. Nice. So one of the reasons I wanted to reach out with you guys is because in my experiences working with you guys, you guys have always been very helpful and uh, very sharing and I wouldn't imagine that any of that has changed in the midst of the pandemic. I would imagine you guys are still stepping up and looking for any ways that you can help out and uh, do whatever you can. Can you uh, kind of fill me in on that, Jackson? Yeah. I mean, I, I think starting on just the, the personal basis, I've already been on a couple calls with college classes and uh, wrangling groups of people to go and talk to college students because it's a, interesting time where there's a lot of available people to chat, which usually is not the case. Uh, and then also working on this live from nowhere project, uh, trying to raise awareness of all of the people behind the scenes in the concert world that 
live paycheck to paycheck and are independent contractors and uh, are really feeling the brunt of these shutdowns the most and are kind of the first ones to first ones to feel it and the last ones to get back on their feet. Fill me in on what uh, live from nowhere is. Yeah, it's been uh, it's gone through a lot of changes because the world is changing so fast. When when it seemed like we were only going to be restricted to gatherings of ten plus or ten or less people, uh, the thought was, hey, let's go find a space somewhere. Not all of the gear is on the shelf. All of the musicians are at home. Let's build a space. Let them come in and perform these streaming concerts. But Pretty quickly, we realized that uh, we were headed in a stay-home trajectory, so figuring out how to do stuff from the couch. Uh, but then also in that time, everyone and their mother is producing content from their couch now, and I'm going to throw up if I watch another one of them. So we even we put together our whole first episode based on that premise and uh, realized that we were a little late and it wasn't as interesting as we thought it was going to be. So. Uh, it's gone through a lot of pivots and we're working on some new ideas now and uh, should have some stuff out shortly if the world doesn't change again and we don't have to pivot yet again. But trying to go into some uncharted territory and use some new skills that none of us really know how to do in a time that is changing so quickly, so sporadically has uh, certainly been a roller coaster ride. It's so hard to keep up with. I mean, as soon as you come up with an idea to put forward by the time you wake up the next day, the whole world is a new place and you can't like, Oh, well that was a great idea yesterday, but now it's either useless or impossible. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but at the, at its core, it's a benefit. It's a, uh, it's yes. a place for resources. Correct. Yeah. It's so we partnered, uh, also speaking of things that kept changing so quickly, we partnered with music cares right off the bat because they had, a really good mission to try to help people impact in the music industry. And they have a history of doing that. And they set up a specific COVID-19 fund. Um, their original criteria wasn't going to reach some of the, the crew members and the people out there. So we set our system up that a third of the proceeds go to music cares and two thirds, uh, use a similar process and procedure as Music Cares, but make sure that no one's falling through the cracks and everyone's eligible. However, once we set that up, Music Cares, uh, to their credit, drastically expanded their criteria, and I don't know where it lands now. Uh, and maybe we were some part of some conversation that helped push that, which would be great. Uh, but they now include their, their threshold to entry and the type of people that they support uh, is a much, much bigger footprint, which is which is great news. And they've got millions of dollars going through their fund. I know Live Nation just started this Crew Nation fund, and they've got millions of dollars there. So uh, even though Live From Nowhere has not been a as big of a contributor as some of these corporate giants, I think we got the conversation started early, and we were on phone calls with people from all of these big companies that have done a lot of work. So Maybe we help push that along, but regardless, I'm glad that all of these uh, people and companies and programs are stepping up to support the music industry and the people behind it that really make it move. I was just going to say the thing that I think is sort of one of the best takeaways from the whole Life of Nowhere project, and I've sort of been watching it much more on the sidelines than Jackson has been. He's been quite deep in it is the community response within our like small network of people that sort of all jumped up and raised their hands for it, right? Like this kind of started on a Friday afternoon between Jackson and uh, our good friend Hank and maybe one or two other people tossing around some ideas about how do we A, help this, help everyone that always helps us when we're trying to put on a show and B, how do we also help our artists still reach their fans? And over the course of about 48 hours, what was originally like, you know, a couple uh, text messages turned into an almost 50 person Slack organization with designers and content animators and shop owners and et cetera, all sort of volunteering all of their time on a weekend when this all had just sort of dropped, um, you know, doing whatever they could to be willing to, to help. And I think that, that that's sort of a testament, regardless of, the, the end result of this, it was really sort of 
heartwarming to see a group of people who really don't know each other all that well. We all sort of orbit each other, but diving in really deep. Um, and that was yeah. just sort of great to see from a community perspective. Absolutely. And I think by Tuesday or Wednesday, we had over 100 volunteers and to a point where it's like we, we I mean, very quickly, we didn't have enough work for everybody. And we were just trying to build our process and get our first episode out. Uh, but the number of private messages I had from people reaching out being like, hey, whatever you need, like my employees, my friends, my colleagues, me, uh, our, our gear, like we're whatever, here. Like our, our, our satellite truck. Yeah, yeah, you know, like everyone was volunteering. Um, yeah, we had vendors, manufacturers, people, animation houses just step up and... That ties me into why I kind of wanted to reach out to you guys is because even before the pandemic we would we had quite a uh a very healthy online set of resources always available to us and you guys have always been able to uh, add and pull from that and i've always appreciated that how open source our industry has become especially in the programmer design and creative aspect yeah i think it's it's probably quite unique that way um and i'm saying that with absolutely no qualifications, but I would imagine that many other industries aren't this open about their, like with their quote competitors, right? Like in a way, a lot of the people that we interact with and we share with and all this stuff on a daily basis is someone who could end up pitching against us on a gig or, or whatever. Right. But I think that that, at least for us always, uh, well, 90% of the time comes secondary to sharing information or tricks or tips or workflows or whatever, right? The world's kind of open book and all you're doing is, is delaying is like making it harder for someone to achieve the same knowledge. Um, they're going to get there anyways, right? So mm -hmm. we might as well all be supportive because if they need your help now, maybe you need their help later, or maybe you just want to be a good person, right? Which is, I think where it comes from a little bit more with Jackson. And I mean, Jackson has also started in addition to live from nowhere. There's this whole other uh, sort of like, more technically oriented organization uh, via a, you know sort of a messaging platform that he started, which is all about sharing all these sort of things, um, which I, I think is admirable. And uh, I think our industry wouldn't really work very well if we weren't also open book. Yeah, I guess if we had worked for iPhone, uh, if we'd worked for Apple, like, and we accidentally shared the upcoming iPhone design, we would all be out of a job in a, in a matter of days. But for us, we're all going to show off our designs and our programming eventually. So it's only beneficial to all of us to just kind of like, hey, so look, this is how I did it. This is what I did. This is why I did it. And it's only going to lead to an elevation of the entire industry as we rise up together. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, I, I can't think of very much at all that we keep close to the chest as, you know, quote, fragment nine intellectual property, right? I think that we have always been pretty willing to share and eager to share um, and also very grateful for other people, right? Like, you know, Andy Babin, who's doing all these cool things, or Manny Condi, who, you know, all these guys who are sort of like innovating in the technology side of things as tools to, or ways to make the workflow better and being so open to share, um, it only benefits everyone else. And it doesn't really seem like they are lacking for opportunities themselves as a result of it, right? Yeah, so. and at the end of the day, if your macro is what's keeping you employed and that's the only thing that's keeping you employed, <laughs> then you have bigger problems than making sure you'll be your macro. Yeah, I agree. I do appreciate when I go to somebody else's show file, and I can I can see like, oh, that's clearly a Jeremy Lechterman uh, macro that you've made there that you've uh, imported from somewhere. And uh, some people they don't sometimes they don't even know like I don't know I just got that one from someone like that's definitely a Jeremy Lechterman. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember a time, Chris, when you and I were tossing a bunch of stuff back back and forth. I, I still love it. Um, I think I've stepped, taken a little bit of a step away from it over the past couple of years as Jackson and I have like focused more on design and we have programming. Mm -hmm. But um, every couple of months, you know, we'll sit down with the show file, the template file, and be like, okay, how do we? Um, 
you know, how do we make this better? How do we get smarter? How do we get more clever? Which we usually end up tripping over ourselves because we try and get too clever. But uh, <laughs> that's, uh, a different, that's a different conversation. But even with uh, outside of the macros and the programming, there's still even in the design and creative space, we're still able to uh, show off what we're what we're doing because nowadays the what ends up in reality is so close to what the previous looks like. Once the idea comes to fruition digitally, I mean, you can share that so quickly and so easily. And even if that ever comes to, to completion, you can always, you can still be able to just say, Hey, look, this is a design I did that I think is, I'm really proud of and nobody ever bid on it, but I, I love it. And you guys should all take a look at it because I think it's, it's special. I think that's unique, right? I think architecture does that a lot, right? They do a lot of like, hey, we ne- this project never actually happened, but here are the renderings and here's the decisions that we made. And this is why, because they're really interested in showing process. And, um, and I think that in their world, process, I'm not quite sure if process sells or if process intrigues their, um, their peers. I think it, intrigues our peers in our industry i don't know if process sells in our industry like i don't know if showing from sketch to drawing to render to whatever on our website of something that never happened that if a potential client sees it that that helps us land the show i have no idea i'd be very interested to know if that works you know what i mean but we all do love to share with each other I, I wonder if there's a certain uh, protagonism there, like, hey, so this is an idea we had, and one client, they weren't brave enough to take it on, but this this huh. idea exists, so if, mm. if anybody else is a little more adventurous, this does exist, and, and, and we're the people that are brave enough to put it out there. It's interesting. I've not thought about it that way. I do know that everyone likes things to be theirs, though, right? They like customization. They like to feel like it's they own it in one way, shape, or another. Yes, I find that the, all too often, uh, even if the product is already perfect, somebody wants to come in and and say, well, let's change it just enough so that it's mine. And, yeah. uh, obviously, that word perfection is, a, is an arbitrary term, but uh, sometimes I just feel that people come in and they're like, mm, that's great. That's exactly what I asked for. Now, can I change it so that it's not, so that I, I, so that I make sure that it's, it's mine? Yeah. Yeah. Which, if, if, if they want to change 5% or 10% so that they feel that way, but we've been able to achieve 90 or 95% of what we originally set out to do. Absolutely. Yep. Right. Like if, if that, is, if that is the conversation, of course, if you want to change 50% also, absolutely. But this is going to be a much longer <laughs> tech process, <laughs> uh, uh, but that's up to you, man. So when I used to work on Crystal, I got to hear of a, a great theory called the monkey hand theory, where he was a painter and he would paint all of the murals for different cruise ships. And he would always make sure to take one person or one thing in the mural and just put a monkey hand on one of the people so that anytime somebody came through and they're like, hey, doesn't that, doesn't that hand right there look like a monkey hand? And then that way they would catch the one glaring mistake and then they wouldn't feel the need to criticize any of the rest of the project that way they would feel like well i caught you on that monkey hand and he's like oh you thank you so much you did catch me on that monkey hand i'll fix that monkey hand right away have you ever employed this in your work chris i have i have i've uh, i've did an entire look and i just threw one random color in there that clearly was out of place and somebody caught it and then they they got the the credit for catching my my mistake and uh everything went smoothly after that i feel like jackson and i have had i mean jackson we've had this conversation multiple times right about like should we intentionally do this to try and uh uh, let someone feel agency in the design but i guess we we tend so far we've arrived on the side of the conversation that we still want their input we don't just want them to catch the thing that we're tricking them on. We, we want them to have agency and make the decisions that 
they want to make for their show or am I just being too generous? In that I, I think it's worth exploring. I think there's something to it. I know we've employed that philosophy to a certain degree with contract negotiations, given the, oh, thing, yeah. that, <laughs> like, the thing to win that like, all right, this is the thing that they care about that doesn't actually change how much they're going to pay us. Cool. Give, give them this win uh, and we can hopefully get everything else we care about. Yeah, I'm. I, yeah, we've definitely done that, but I don't know that we've done it in a creative way. No, I, I don't. I can't think of a time that we've done it creatively, but maybe it's about time to try. Uh, <laughs> it's a touchy one. You got to be very careful because some people they want to. They're gonna like ah, he made a mistake and I caught it. And some people are like, oh, I helped him along because he, be, he's so overworked right now. Is yeah, that, it needs to be close enough. That it's not, it needs to be something that's not bad, just a little bit off. Mm-hmm, exactly. It's, it's a very narrow, here, I'm going to go on the record that we're never going to do this. So if any future clients are listening, uh, this is definitely <laughs> not going to happen on your show. <laughs> we're going to do it to somebody else and definitely not you. Exactly. Uh, it's one of the fine lines with design that I come across quite often where you kind of have to make a, a decision where am I putting my ego aside for the betterment of the show or am I allowing my ego to rise and just, and I'm going to end up getting my, my feelings stomped on because they don't like what I've created. And I, well, and also, also do you know what is best for the show and does your artist know their audience better than you do? Right. Like, I think one of the things that we are always uh, always being reminded of is that, especially because we we spread ourselves pretty wide in sort of the genres that we work in and the types of projects that we work on, we're not the expert in a K-pop audience. We're not the expert in a country, pop country audience, right? Keith Urban is. And so if he says this is great, but we can't do this. And we say, no, but this is a really beautiful thing. And he's like, I don't care, man. It doesn't work. He's right, you know, because it's ultimately at the end of the day, it's his audience that he has to please and that we are trying to engage a response from. And I think that being humble enough or at least being aware enough to remember that every time uh, is important to sort of get out of your own way. Like no one you don't know, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of the, the hard part and the hard balancing act uh, of collaborating with an artist. Like if we just showed up and did our show for their fans, it's not going to work. If they showed up and they designed the show for their fans, it probably will work. Sometimes it does. And maybe our show would work occasionally. But we, it's about borrowing each other's strengths and covering up each other's weaknesses. But most of the time you don't know what is what. And there's plenty of artists out there that think every idea that they have in their mind is a good idea and that needs to be the marching order. Um, there's artists out there that don't engage at all, but the the kind of Goldilocks of it is an artist that engages but can be talked out of a bad idea, but has good ideas of their own. I think we've been fortunate to work with a lot of those types of artists, but also outside of that certainly won't name names, but that is kind of the the perfect collaboration and workflow when you have an artist that is willing to be wrong, but can also elevate your designs. And when yeah. we're willing to be wrong, right? When, when we're willing to turn around and say, no, you know better, this is your show. Like we are happy to, or at least let's all look at it together. Like let's try it in rehearsals. Let's wish that we had the luxury of time to try all the ideas that we're talking about right now. <laughs> you know, that's usually the bigger problem. It's not that anyone's right or wrong, right? It's that we don't have time to prove to ourselves as a group, which is the right decision because we just don't have time. We just like have to make a decision and go and someone ends up being disappointed, which is always unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the most common examples of it, and this is one of the lesser examples, but it, uh, it's front light where I, let's say it's a corporate event and somebody who's un, unaccustomed to be, have, being blinded all the time comes in and they're like, hey, so we need to bring down that front light because I can't see anything. They go, okay, well, I'll bring it down a little bit. Uh, dimmer, dimmer. You know, I, I, I just can't have that. In front. And then by the time you're done, you're like, well, now we can't see you. You're standing in the dark. 
And they're like, well, yeah, it's perfect. Now I can see my teleprompter. Yeah, but we can't see you. So you really have to kind of walk a fine line where, look, no, we, we have to be able to see you. And you can't be in the dark, even though it's more comfortable for you. What you're asking for is going to ruin it for your audience. And I don't know where the line yeah. ends or where the, where you cross the line into being talked into a bad idea. I mean, I mean, I think, you know, that, that is a, in a nutshell, in a vacuum, that's a fairly uh, easily demonstrable conversation, right? Like put other person on stage, we'll have them come out the front of the house, like, look, cannot see. Right. And they're like, Oh shit. <laughs> right. Whereas yeah. like, you know, a conversation that we were having with, uh, with an artist a couple of years ago, or really it was more sort of their management team about how much I'm apt to incorporate into a show. You know, it was a show that was very, um, aggressive. I wouldn't want to say aggressively designed, but it was, um, it, it, its focus was not iMac, right? There was an iMac component to it, but we had to realize, or rather they were very concerned that the audience would not engage unless there was almost 80 to 90% iMac throughout the course of the show. And we strongly disagreed, and I think we still disagree. <laughs> um, but they, you know, knew their audience really well, or they thought they they thought that their audience was was only going to be accepting of a certain thing. But it's like, how do you how do you prove to one or the other? Um, how do you or how do you meet in the middle? Right? Yeah. Like, uh, yep. you, can't, you can't you can't prove it because you need to do shows and you would need to try it one way and try it the other way. And then like pull the audience. Right. And we don't do that in this industry. We just like <laughs> we go don't. for the first two shows, hope it's all right. And then like, you know, um, I'm like, I don't think audience members go look at their feedback on, you know, poll star ticket reviews. I mean, maybe, maybe there's some constructive feedback in Instagram comments. I don't know. I don't know how, um, I mean, I know that we sometimes get our feedback from, audience Instagram reviews. I wonder if artists also do the same. Yeah. I am always looking through, uh, online reviews or magazine reviews, looking for any sort of lighting notes. And there's just never any, if there are no lighting notes in the reviews and magazines and online, then, then, you know, you did it perfectly adequately. It's not unless yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not unless you've completely ruined the show that somebody's going to be like, "Oh God, the lighting was a huge catastrophe." That uh, that you'll you'll know that you'll get any reviews at all. Yeah, I think we were fortunate on uh, on Alt J because they uh, they as performers are so sort of stationary that we had to take up sort of all of the visual language of the performance. And so as a result, there wasn't much, aside from how carefully crafted the music was or, or whether somebody like hit a wrong note, right? Um, there wasn't much for the reviewers to comment on, like the press. So we were able to get quite a number of reviews about the production on that show because that was what they had to pay attention to. Um, but I would say that that's quite few and far between. Mm, I agree. So another thing that comes up all the too often is overworking a design where sometimes a blessing and a curse is having two months of rehearsal. And, you know, by after a month, the show is perfect, but you still have a month to go. And so it just gets you know, nitpicked and, and torn apart and then rebuilt. And next thing you know, it's, it's, it's overproduced. And I run into that once in a blue moon has that ever come across to you guys let me be honest we've never had two months of rehearsals that sounds great <laughs> <laughs> yeah our record is uh, two and a half weeks two and a half weeks um, that's pretty good no i mean i think there were definitely moments on bts where it felt like uh well we never had enough time on that show but um there were definitely things that uh, we as a collective between like artists, management, creative direction, production design, et cetera, like focused on for way too long that in the end absolutely didn't matter. Right. That it just felt in the end result was like, we beat the conversation to death or 
the the decision that we made was too safe because we all stared at it for too long. Like I, I can see moments of this. I don't know that we've ever had a show where we've like been like, oh, this is great. And then okay, now let's throw it out, you know? <laughs> uh, or let's screw it up. And we've never had that luxury. I'd like to try that once. That sounds like you're having a little bit different problem where there were just too many too many soups in the in the pot there. Somebody everybody wants to have their their final say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of my not enough time. One of my favorite quotes on that one is the the camel and the horse story, where uh, a camel is just a horse being designed by committee, or you were trying to design a horse, and they just everybody well, it needs more water and it needs less hair, and next thing you know, you end up with a camel. I see that happening sometimes, where you just try and make everybody happy with one design, and you just can't. It just can't be done. There's not really anything you can do about it. At yeah. That point. If you have, if the creative buck doesn't stop at one, two, maybe three people, if um, friends or management or other people outside of the artists are getting involved, and all of a sudden you've got several people that have some sort of say, uh, like it's especially the worst when one person tells you to do one thing and then someone else who has an equal amount of creative say turns around and says something completely contradictory. And it's like, who are we listening to? We're just, we're just burning your money and your time running in these circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny, yeah. funny question. I've been finding that that buck stops more and more often at the social media director. Has that become <laughs> a thing for you guys yet? Uh, let me give you an example where we we were doing a show and we had done this for three or four years in a row and the first year they had a social media director it was just there to make sure that the hashtags were in the right place and the ats and the all this stuff were in the right place and then the next year the social media director had a little bit more power they could uh, they came out they're like hey i need i need high i need uh high speed wi-fi out of front of house well we don't have that oh you're gonna get it Oh, okay. We're going to get it. And then the next year after that, the social media director was in basically the creative liaison between everybody. And then by the fourth year, they were controlling the looks because basically the entire show was based on the Instagram photos. And it was really interesting to see the progression of how that social media presence became more and more important. And you guys have some, some of the hip bands that are focusing on that. Has that become a it's, priority? It's certainly, it's certainly been part of the conversation. Um, like we are just in rehearsals not too long ago and the manager was taking pictures of the show and he, he could have stood next to me and say, Hey, like his face isn't bright enough or Hey, this is overpowering. But all of his feedback was coming from photos that he was taking during the run during the run he was showing me these photos but he was watching the concert through his camera uh which i think is a pretty clever thing to do in this day and age and i mean it's obviously going that direction people are caring more and more about the instagram shots and like we're thinking about that and including that as we're uh first trying to sell a client on the idea of it but in terms of anything actually be being driven by someone whose sole job is social media or primary responsibility is that I don't think we've really seen that yet in our no, walks of life. No, but I do think that, uh, you know, we have become much more astute about making sure that we pay attention to it, right? Whether, whether the artist is, and I'm sure they are, um, but, you know, even from the, in our pitches, right? Like we have, little pictures of iPhones with fake Instagram, uh, you know, uh, posts in them of what the show might look like on a phone. Uh, so that the, so that the, the artists and management can kind of already see that connection immediately and see that the design is successful in that lens. Um, and we're much more daily, even if there's no iMac on the show, we're effectively lighting the show for camera every time, because regardless of how many people are in the audience, the wider audience is certainly Instagram or some live stream or whatever. So if you're not lighting your shows for camera, you should be, (laughs) unfortunately, even at the detriment of your live audience in certain situations. Um, that also kind of comes down to the DP, right? Like if we're doing a live, if they were at a festival and we're doing a live stream, there are certain festivals that have really good 
uh, teams who are able to really faithfully capture the show as designed. And then there's certain times where I find that we really need to have our own multi-view in front of house and we're editing levels live to try and help them along because they're just, it's just not their forte or, or whatever. It really sounds like you guys are getting ahead of that. Uh, it sounds like you're ahead of the curve on that. Uh, it definitely uh, sounds like you guys are at least aware of the, the 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 tide that's coming that way with the the social media, and basically, for better or for worse, half of our audience is watching the entire show through their phones. I would say for worse, but yeah, I mean, you you have to if you want to be successful and you want to make sure that because at a certain point, right, like your artist is gonna uh, start doing things like TV performances or. Uh, whatever and they're going to say hey can you put together a design for this and if you don't know how to light for camera and you don't understand the angles or you don't understand f-stops or or any of the things right like you are very quickly going to be out of a job and somebody else is going to come replace you i think Mm -hmm. is something that we learned pretty quick because i'm sure that i lost a couple of gigs in the beginning of my career because i wasn't paying attention to what the camera needed so we've gotten pretty hip over the past couple of years yeah, I, uh, I'm guilty of that myself because in the beginning of the whole iPhone uh, personal recording device, I could stand up and say, hey, look, that's just somebody's photo that they took from their iPhone. That's low quality. We shouldn't be judging anything based on that. But then once that photo got shared to a million people, you're like, oh, crap, I guess I got to gotta pay attention to that now because that's, yes, it is low quality, but I mean, that's what we're... That's what we have to gear up for. We have to cater to that now. Um, the people in the front row, there's, you know, 100 people, and they're going to be enjoying the show for 90 minutes. But uh, their photos are going to be out there forever for a million people. Yeah, and it's how, they're, it's how the artist is also going to remember the show from that night and how they're going to think about their performance and, and whether they're going to come give you notes or not, right? Like the first thing after the show is they're probably going to, I mean, some of the, those who care are going to jump on Instagram and see what they see, see what their fans are saying. Yeah, and they're not going to find, I mean, they're going to scroll through the best photos and they're going to find the one that they hate the most. And they're like, I hate that one the most. I'm going to go, I'm going to go talk to Chris about that one. Like, hey, why do I hate this one the most? Uh, yeah. It's a terrible photo. I, I don't know what to tell you. Right on. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. I will definitely leave a link to fragment9.com in the notes. What is the link for Live From Nowhere? Uh, It's livefromnowhere.org. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. I wish that this could have been in Nashville or Colorado over a nice dinner, but this will have to do for now. Next time. Well, thanks for having us. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Chris.